What's up? As some of you know, my podcast episodes were originally uploaded on SoundCloud. So I have a little bit of a backlog of some things that I recorded alone and with Sim. This is one of those episodes um, that I did by myself. And it's from, geez, around May. Yeah, it's been a while. But um, from this point on, I think I've gotten out all of the backlog and I'll be talking to you guys in real time. I just wanted to say thank you so much for all the awesome feedback I've gotten so far. It's been really inspiring to hear from uh, anyone who's listened to the podcast and gotten something out of it or had some thoughts to share with me. I have to work on being a little less monotone, a little lighter. Um, It's a learning progress and you're watching me go through it. So thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to an episode of me talking. I wanted to talk about some books I'm currently reading and what they're doing for me and what I hope to achieve with reading them over the next few weeks. I've been in quite a rut lately. I don't feel like I've been following through on a lot of the commitments I've made to myself. I don't feel like I'm operating at a level that eight-year-old me would be proud of, which is kind of my measure for everything. Am I living my life the way eight-year-old me would want me to be living? So this conversation with myself posted publicly is my effort to kind of log my progress, getting back on track to unfuck myself, as one of these books I'm reading so eloquently states it. I really just wanted to go through some of these things that I'm learning, put them into words, speak them, put them out into the world. Not that anyone will be listening to this, most likely, but I feel like it's really important to stop keeping all these ideas in my head, or even on paper, or on my laptop through typing. I feel like it's really important to actually give myself the space to speak these things so I can listen back, put it on in the background. I can tell myself, or you, if you need to hear these things, I can tell another person to wake up. If you're not committed, recommit. That's what I want to be here to say. So since I referenced it already, I think it's reasonable to start with... Actually, I changed my mind. I wanted to... I was about to start talking about unfuck yourself, but I'm really going to start by talking about Dale Carnegie's famous How to Win Friends and Influence People. Why am I doing this? Because this was actually the first book I read in uh, this journey I'm taking, and I feel like it's a really good guide for the rest of these ideas that I'm going to talk about. So here it goes. In part one of this book, part one's all about, in his words, fundamental techniques in handling people, and I took out some interesting notes from this chapter. In his words, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. When you're dealing with people, oh, why isn't it let navigate to this page? There we go. If you want to be, if you want to deal with people successfully, basically, you can't criticize, condemn, or complain about anything in the conversations that you have with them. And this is put really uh, eloquently by this story that's included in the chapter called Father Forgets by W. Livingston Learned. So I'll just read it out. Listen, son, I'm saying this as you lie asleep, one little paw crumpled under your cheek and the blonde curls stickily wet on your damp forehead. I have stolen into your room alone. 
Just a few minutes ago, as I sat reading my paper in the library, a stifling wave of remorse swept over me. Guiltily, I came to your bedside. There are the things I was thinking, son. I had been cross to you. I scolded you as you were dressing for school because you gave your face merely a dab with a towel. I took you to task for not cleaning your shoes. I called out angrily when you threw some of your things on the floor. At breakfast, I found fault too. You spilled things. You gulped down your food. You put your elbows on the table. You spread butter too thick on your bread. And as you started off to play and I made for my train, you turned and waved a hand and called, Goodbye, Daddy. And I frowned. And I said in reply, Hold your shoulders back. Then it began all over again in the late afternoon. As I came up the road and I spied you, down on your knees playing marbles, there were holes in your stockings. I humiliated you before your boyfriends by marching you ahead of me to the house. Stockings were expensive, and you had to buy them. If you had to buy them, you would be more careful. Imagine that, son, from a father. Do you remember, later, when I was reading in the library, how you came in timidly, with a short, sort of hurt look in your eyes? When I glanced up over my paper, impatient at the interruption, you hesitated at the door. What is it you want? I snapped. You said nothing, but ran across in one tempestuous plunge and threw your arms around my neck and kissed me, and your small arms tightened with affection, an affection that God had set blooming in your heart, and which even neglect could not wither. And then you were gone, pattering up the stairs. Well, son, it was shortly afterwards that my paper slipped from my hands and a terrible, sickening fear came over me. What has habit been doing to me? The habit of finding fault, of reprimanding. This was my reward to you for being a boy. It was not that I did not love you. It was that I expected too much of youth. I was measuring you by the yardstick of my own years. And there was so much that was good and fine and true in your character. The little heart of you was as big as the dawn itself over the wide hills. This was shown by your spontaneous impulse to rush in and kiss me goodnight. Nothing else matters tonight, son. I have come to your bedside in the darkness, and I have knelt there, ashamed. It is a feeble atonement. I know you would not understand these things if I told them to you during your waking hours, but tomorrow I will be a real daddy. I will chum with you, and suffer when you suffer, and laugh when you laugh. I will bite my tongue when impatient words come. I will keep saying as if it were a ritual. He is nothing but a boy, a little boy. I am afraid I've visualized you as a man. Yet as I see you now, son, crumpled and weary in your cot, I see that you are still a baby. Yesterday, you were in your mother's arms, your head on her shoulder. I have asked too much, too much. I think it's really important to take away from this story the a certain perspective of the lesson that it's trying to convey. There's no benefit at all to patronizing the people you communicate with, but Shifting the story from the perspective of father and son to perspective of peer to peer, I think we can see that in a lot of our interactions, we are judging people by our own experience, asking people over and over, you know, rhetorically or not, why are you not behaving in the way that I would expect myself to behave in this situation? Why are you not seeing it from my perspective? Why are you not approaching this? group project and, you know, the the method that, that I might. What we don't understand is everybody is just a child in some way learning to work towards whatever goals they have. They are only as experienced as they happen to be, and uh, you really can't put any expectations on people or expect them to see from your point of view. Instead of condemning people, let's try to understand them. Let's try to figure out 
why they do what they do. That's a lot more profitable and intriguing than criticism, and it breeds sympathy, tolerance, and kindness. To know all is to forgive all. So I repeat, the principle, the first principle of communicating with people that uh, Dale Carnegie points out is to not criticize, condemn, or complain. If you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. This brings us to the second chapter in this section, the big secret of dealing with people. There is only one way under high heaven to get anybody to do anything. Do you ever stop to think of that? Just one way. And that is by making the other person want to do it. There is no other way. There are a few stories of uh, professionals and leaders in this chapter that convey how important this message is. Here's one from Mr. Charles Schwab. This was a mantra he had for himself, a personal mantra. I consider my ability to arouse enthusiasm among my people the greatest asset that I possess. And the way to develop the best that is in a person is by appreciation and encouragement. There is nothing else that so kills the ambitions of a person as criticism from supervisors. I never criticize anyone. I believe in giving a person incentive to work. So I'm anxious to praise, but loath to find fault. If I like anything, I am hearty in my approbation and lavish in my praise. Approbation is an old-fashioned word basically more or less meaning praise. So that's the pers perspective of Charles Schwab, who's a manager, works with a lot of people, and was very well liked by his associates. But what does the average person do? The exact opposite, actually. If they don't like a thing, they'll ball out to their subordinates. If they do like it, they'll say nothing. And as the old couplet says, once I did a bad, and I'm, I'm reading here, that this is uh, in odd English, once I did bad, and that I heard ever. Twice I did good, but that I heard never. So there's this odd quirk about human psychology to emphasize the troubles we come across and accept the good silently. But we know that life is only, you know, what you make it. And if you continuously focus on the bad things, that's, you know, what you're calling to uh, return to yourself later on. Here's another example from Andrew Carnegie. He praised his associates publicly as well as privately. He wanted to praise his assistants even on his tombstone. He wrote an ep <clears throat> epitaph? He wrote an epitaph for himself which read, Here lies one who knew how to get around from men who were cleverer, cleverer than himself. For my entire life, I think, I've approached working with people from their perspective of proving myself by showing what makes me valuable. But people don't really care about what makes you valuable. They care about their own interests and how you might help them achieve whatever goals they have. And this is something that Andrew Carnegie and Charles Schwab really acknowledge. They didn't hold themselves up by showing how great they were, talking about all of the achievements they might have accomplished. They assign and surround themselves with able people who have the skills to uh, further their own interests without ever really making that intention explicit. I think an example of the situation that comes up a lot is uh, in romantic life. We so often take our spouses so much for granted that we never let them know we appreciate them. How, how awful is that in retrospect? I've been in this situation myself, having just a wonderful partner for um, almost four years of my life, 
I was so thankful to have met this person because they brightened my life and took me on fun adventures. And I was so thankful. And I guess I reacted to the situation and expressed my thankfulness inwardly because I thought that could multiply it if I think to myself how lucky I am and appreciate how lucky I am and say that to myself I thought I was uh, I thought in some way this would let myself give myself back these good experiences at some point in the future but that's really not how it works um, or ideally when you're working with people they want to know that what they're doing is appreciated and it's really important to actually speak on that. So really the best, you know, the best course of action is not to tell yourself inwardly how thankful you are and tell yourself how lucky you are to be in the situation. The best course of action is to tell the person exactly, earnestly, and honestly, without flattery, how they've helped you and what you appreciate about what's happening. And the act of speaking that has the effect you, or has, has uh, I guess, the unintended effect of uh, then multiplying the amount of good you might find because this person has been positively conditioned to understand that this is an activity or behavior that you appreciate and they're in some way motivated to continue with that kind of behavior, which in the end is a good thing for you. This idea of flattery is something that's very important to notice. Flattery seldom works with discerning people. It is shallow, selfish, and insincere. It ought to fail, and it usually does. People can tell the difference between honest praise and flattery. One is universally loathed. The other is universally adored. Flattery is counterfeit, and like counterfeit money, it will eventually get you into trouble if you pass it on to someone else. This idea is really a new way of life, and the only way you can fully implement this to your life is to accept it as a new way of life. King George V had a set of six maxims displayed on his walls at his study at Buckingham Palace. One of these maxims said, teach me neither to proffer nor receive cheap praise. And that's all flattery is, cheap praise. I once read, or Carnegie once read a definition of flattery that may be worth repeating, that flattery is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. If you find yourself in a conversation telling a person exactly what you think they think about themselves or what assumptions you've made about them, you're giving cheap praise. This brings me to the third chapter. Okay, here we go. Chapter three, he who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks alone. What's he talking about? So when you're working with people before anything else, your first course of action to should be to... Um, arouse in the other person an eager want, or even before that, to understand what motivates them. The author of this book was a po once a poverty-stricken Scotch lad who uh, started to work at two cents an hour and finally gave away $365 million. He learned early in life that the only way to influence people is to talk in terms of what the other person... You don't need a lot of formal or technical education to work with people if you understand this concept. To persuade somebody to do something is something you might want to do. Before you speak, pause and ask yourself, how can I make this person want to do it? That question will stop us from rushing into a situation heedlessly with futile chatter about our desires. There is a great difference in effect between someone who expresses everything they want and someone who understands the person they're communicating with and presents some value to them. This is something that comes up a lot in business education. 
No one really cares about what you want. They care about what they want, and they care about what you can do to further those things. And this isn't to make people sound heartless. This is just how humans function. It's psychology. You can talk a lot, but if you don't understand what motivates the other person, you're not going to really get anywhere with them. And this goes for business relationships and friendships, family relationships. And I think this is something that I really want to improve on. I never really know what to say. There are a lot of spaces in my speech. This isn't really something that will come across in this recording because I get to truncate silence. But I never really know what to say when I'm talking to people because, in my opinion, I haven't done a great job of understanding what motivates them before I start talking, blabbering about whatever I think is going on, whatever is on my mind at the time. One of the, you know, standard conversation starters is how was your day? And we don't ask someone how their day was because we really care about how their day was. We care about what's on their mind, what feels important to them right now. Most of the time, people aren't really, you know, willing to talk that deeply about their uh, motivations based on that one question. Usually the answer is, that was good. But, you know, if, if you can understand, even first of all, that this person is doing fine and maybe is cheerful and having a fine day, even if, you know, they're not really being honest about it, it's just an automatic reaction. You can start on this baseline of understanding that this person is in a neutral state or maybe even a kind of positive state. It's a reason for conversation. If you meet a new person, ask about what they care about if you don't already know. This will broaden the kinds of people you can relate to closely enough to assume what they want. What does that mean? If you're meeting a new person, you can start with, how was your day? then you can turn to some deeper questions about how they're doing or what brought them here today, you know? If you meet someone in a class, say, are you looking forward to this course? What prompted you to enroll? Do you have a lot of friends who are also taking this class? Do you know a lot about this subject already? What kind of background do you have? Do you think it's going to be interesting or boring? I don't know. These are just, you know, I've never been good at conversation, so I'm really just trying stuff out. But the one idea to really take away from this is that a lot of talk about your own enormous success will make, you know, an employer or a friend or a partner feel small and unimportant relatively. So you, there's really never any benefit to talking about your own success when you meet a new person. You don't have to prove your own worth. It's a much better approach to allow there to be space and let the other person try to, you know, tell you or try to convince you of their worth, or try to tell you or let you learn about what motivates them so you can relate this to other people of the same kind. So to repeat this advice succinctly, we first arouse in the other person an eager want. An eager want. He who can do this has the whole world with him. He who cannot walks a lonely way. This is principle three, chapter three of this first part of the book. And that is all we got for this week. Thanks again for uh, listening. If you want to learn more about me or the podcast, you can visit my website at mwalts.com. That's mwaltz.com, because I'm Max Waltz, and I'm on the internet. And remember, every great podcast host has an iconic sign-off.